everybody and welcome back we are glad that after those long three weeks you are able to rejoin us again here welcome to our podcast which now officially has a name this is now the talking Hoodies podcast and you can look us up now on itunes under that name as well and unfortunately we've been on a hiatus because of circumstances which we had no control over but we are back again tonight and with me is mark ratterman welcome mark hello sawyer good to be back definitely I agree with you. And Gina Herlihy, welcome back as well. Hey, Sawyer. And unfortunately tonight, Gene McCulka was unable to join us, but we are very fortunate enough to have an amazing special guest with us. And her name on Twitter is Tavi Griner. And her real name is also Tavi Griner. Welcome. Hello. And I'm Sawyer Rosenstein. All right, so most of you know Gene, Mark, and I by now, but not many people know you, Tavi. So what's your interest in space and astronomy? Uh, my interest is astronomy uh, and, and space period. Um, I think my greatest passion is outreach. Uh, those who know me uh, know how involved I've been in that in the past few years between radio shows and a podcast. And uh, now I have my own blog. And then, of course, Twitter. I do a lot of outreach, all that I can on Twitter. Very nice, which I'd say that's a good segue into what I feel that we should talk about tonight. Tonight's topic, we have mentioned outreach in the past numerous times on the short run of this podcast so far, but it's mainly been the outreach of NASA to the public. Another big outreach that there isn't much of is astronomy. So, I think tonight we should talk about what can we do to encourage outreach for not just space and human space flight, but astronomy itself. And I'll open that up to the floor. Okay, um... I can jump in here uh, because, uh, again, that's my passion is outreach with astronomy. I think that, in fact, um, that is a key to to uh, encouraging an, an, an interest in space and space flight, uh, in the space programs and the various missions. Uh, it can all begin by simply looking up and uh, looking at the stars, looking at the uh, space station, iridium flares, the simple things that, uh, that any one of us can do. Uh, and from there, of course, that interest grows. Uh, it certainly did with me. And, uh, and you become more familiar with uh, things like NASA and the various missions. Well, I think there's a lot of local stuff that actually probably isn't too well publicized. My college has a small observatory then unfortunately, um, they won't allow the lights to be shut off during public viewing nights. So the telescope itself, which sits on a local campus, has a lot of light pollution issues just right under its nose. And every Wednesday night, they do a viewing between 7 and 9. There's a local astronomer that shows up at the observatory, and he will basically let you view anything you want that's visible that he can point to in the sky that evening. And a few years ago, when Mars was at its closest approach, 
there was 300 people there. And obviously the word got out that Merrimack College in Massachusetts does this on Wednesday nights. But if you go on any other given night, you may run into maybe five or six people, some of them semi-regulars, and that's about it. But when, you know, there's sort of an event like, oh, Mars is very close, you'll be able to see it, you know, very, very well. Obviously, the word was out. Unfortunately, I mean, I don't think the college does anything to sort of fund an outreach program, but, you know, perhaps it's... um, it's something that, you know, the community or local astronomers could do a better job at trying to push just to get people interested. The night that Mars was so visible, there was tons of families there, children. I mean, people were excited. People waited in line. Oh, I think I waited at least an hour and a half. And it was myself, my husband. I think my mother was with us. This was, I mean, when was that, five or six years ago? And it was just quite amazing to see that many people turn out to see Mars so up close. So um, I would bet it's not the only place that does something like that. And unfortunately, I don't know how many people know um, that they have access to it. You make a really good point um, just sitting here listening to you. Uh, it's it's all in the way that you tell people about it. You know, obviously the observatory, there are the people there. Uh, they had something exciting to share well, to those of us who are into astronomy or into space science, who are enthusiasts uh, already, we think everything's exciting about it because we know. We know that it's exciting. We understand why it's exciting. Uh, so, again, so the key is the way you present the information. I wonder if they're really trying to get people excited. It may sounds to me like they're not, that they wait until they're what they consider it's like the news. We, many of us complain about the news, that the news is not the news. It's become tabloid. We know more about Paris Hilton's purses than we do about the real news. And the news people say that they're giving us the information that we want, that this is what we want. But I beg to differ. Uh, I think the same thing may be happening with outreach, with astronomy. People may think that we're only interested in the so-called exciting events, when in fact, we would be interested in all of it if we were given that opportunity. They had the same enthusiasm about showing Jupiter or the moon that they did about showing showing Mars when it was at its closest. I would agree with you, Tavi. I would think, thinking back now, I believe the regional newspaper had something posted in it you know, Mars at closest approach, they probably pulled an AP article and said, you know, on such and such night at such college, there's viewing from seven to nine and the whole community showed up. And, you know, when else have they probably posted that since, you know, put any sort of publication of um, viewing since then. Now, all those people were introduced to an astronomer with a working telescope who greeted everybody and said, oh, yeah, I'm here every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. You know, so everybody there at least knows now he exists and word of mouth. And honestly, I haven't been in a couple of years, but it's just a hard time for me to get there. However, you know, I, I would bet you that was the only time the regional newspaper ever even publicized it. So I totally agree with you. But why not have a Jupiter night, you know, or a, a moon night or something on a full moon? and really see, you know, the real detail up close. I mean, it's a, it, it's a large telescope. I, I can't exactly remember the, um, the exact specifications, but 
I looked at Mars that night and I could definitely see, um, you know, the polar caps and the red and, you know, what people of years ago used to think were the canals. I mean, it, it, it was, it was striking. The people who are doing the out, the, uh, doing the outreach, uh, in this case, you know, this one example, we don't want to pick on that that observatory or that college, but the people who are doing the outreach need to be excited about what they're doing because enthusiasm really is contagious. And I found that um, I did radio shows uh, for three years, I think a little longer than that. Anyway, for about three years with um, a remote observatory, we had internet radio every night. And um, for a couple of years, I did three to four four shows a week um, and what I found was I received so many emails uh, every single day um, and what every one of them said was they remarked on my enthusiasm and how my enthusiasm had gotten them excited and that now they were you know doing this or doing that and they had never thought about doing it before and enthusiasm is the key and um, if we're excited about it other people are going to be excited about it. And um, so, again, this observatory, if they're not excited, then nobody's going to come by. Mm -hmm. Just because you show somebody something once doesn't mean that they realize that there's something to see every night until until you tell them that, you know? Right, because I remember that night when Mars was approaching its closest. I remember being outside. I couldn't go to an observatory, but I remember being outside there with binoculars trying to look outside and see if, what I could see of Mars and again it was just that one blurb and this was before I was as interested in space and astronomy as I am now I mean like what you were saying before there's also a local um, it's a mix of an observatory and a planetarium at a nearby school and it's broken and nobody's even bothered to fix it uh, they just figure it's kind of a waste so they're basically just forgetting about it so you want to talk about not just outreach they're not even maintaining it that's a, that's a shame. We have an observatory here, a planetarium, rather, and uh, not an observatory. They don't have a big telescope, and it's sad because they do very little there, and if they're doing anything, I don't know about it, and I look to see if they are, um, and I, I think about this beautiful facility, and I have to wonder about the people who are running it, who are there. Uh, are they not that excited? Because they're certainly not reaching very many people other than a tourist during the summer who see it as uh, something to do on a weeknight. That, that really concerns me. Uh, you know, I thought it was just here. But when I hear uh, what Gina says and when I, when I hear what you say, Sawyer, that concerns me, uh, the excitement. And, and it makes me realize it really is the excitement, I think. W one of the things that we can do with Twitter, what I do with Twitter, is um, I just tweet I, th they may seem like mundane things. Uh, if you've been looking at the sky for a long time, if you look at the moon every night, you know how many times you've probably all done it. You've, you you have marveled at the moon, and maybe somebody that's with you just went, "Oh yeah, it's the moon. I see it every night." Um, <laughs> so you have to find ways to make it exciting, and I try to do that with Twitter. I try to do it with radio shows and podcast and in my writing. Um, why is it exciting? And it can, you can say it in a sentence. You know, why is this particular thing so exciting? And I don't let that enthusiasm be uh, old stuff for me. I, I think of it as something new every night. How many times have we seen Jupiter next to the moon? We see it all the time. I mean, it happens frequently. But 
every time you put it out there, you and and you have told another new person. You may have just told the same two or three hundred people again, but there's a new person in there too, and that new person will tell someone else. And and if you can get even if you got one person every time, that's many more people because of the people they will share it with. Um, it's an exponential thing. So that excitement is key. Tommy, I've got a question. I know I've seen tweets, and some probably from you, where where there would be a comment that a that a certain star was within a degree of of some other star, and and with me, I've never looked through a telescope. So what's exciting about that? What have I missed? What have, what have I got to look forward to? Well, for scientists, oftentimes. Um, First of all, it's just beautiful uh, when we have the moon and you see the moon occult, um, a particular bright star um, or um, a, an occultation with a planet, of course, that's very exciting, is, is just the sheer beauty of it, of what you're seeing. Um, for scientists, scientists often use occultations or, you know, with this one degree thing, like you mentioned, um, you know, without trying to, to get too technical about it. But for, for those of us who, who, who aren't scientists, it's a, just a, simply a beautiful thing. And, and I guess you would need to look through the telescope to see that. But you know what? You don't need a telescope. Binoculars will suffice, even a small pair of binoculars. And again, I think you know, this may be something that a lot of people don't realize. is that you don't need fancy or expensive equipment. Much of astronomy you can do with the unaided eye or with a small pair of binoculars. Do you have a pair of binoculars? I sure do. In fact, um, I found how hard it is to to handhold binoculars steady. <laughs> <laughs> I ha- I can now handhold the uh, the twenty by eighty. I don't know if you've ever seen a pair of twenty by eighties. No. They are very heavy, and uh, most people, when I hand them to them, are just can't hold them for more than a, a couple of seconds. So. Well, how about how about where you where you started out when you first. Uh, went from hearing about astronomy to wanting to, to know more and to be to be have a bigger bigger picture of it. Uh, I grew up in North Carolina and the schools here were not the best and science was just not a big deal. Uh, we uh, and so I knew very little about it and so to me when I did look up I thought that, that astronomy was um, out of my reach. It didn't even occur to me um, that I could get a telescope and use it and look up. So um, I had that interest somewhere in the back of my mind, but I did not pursue it at all until uh, one evening we had just moved and um, I was kind of bored, so I got on the Internet. And I stumbled across a website that offered remote observing, looking through a telescope, and I was just the whole. I was blown away, blown away by the idea of it, that I could look through a telescope and do it on the internet. So at any rate, make a long story short, it was the community, it was the people, that really got me interested in astronomy. I went onto this website and I saw this. this it was uh, live imaging of deep sky objects. And of course, I was immediately attracted to that. Any of you that have looked at the Hubble images, any images of deep, uh, deep sky objects, they're absolutely stunning. And it's fascinating to think that although we look up and see a black sky with white stars, what really exists are all these fantastic colors and, and winds of hundreds of thousands of miles per hour. You know, so many exciting science things 
that we don't see, that our, that our eyes don't see. And so when I saw these images, uh, I was blown away by them, but I still didn't know what they were. They started sharing with me what this was and telling me some of the exciting science, these, uh, these million degree temperatures and how planetary nebulae are formed and things like that. And I gained an immediate interest. I said, oh, oh my God, I have lived in this bubble, you know, um, I didn't realize this. And uh, they had internet radio. And so within about six months, I was doing the radio shows because, let me tell you why, not because I wanted to be on the radio, uh, you know, not because I could get on there and not be, sh- but not be shy, but because, but because I wanted everybody to be as excited as I was. I wanted everyone to know what they were looking at because I knew that if they knew, they'd be hooked. And, um, and I, you know, I'm convinced that if everyone could see the sky for what it really is, that uh, we would, it, this would be a very different world. These remote observatories offer the chance for amateur astronomers, for people like us, to make discoveries. Uh, you know, and again, here, here we have, um, this is very exciting when you talk about science. Most people think that you have to be a, a, a scientist to contribute to science. I know that I always thought that you had to be a scientist to contribute to science. Uh, and now we're seeing so many citizen science programs, and in particular in astronomy. There are so many opportunities for anyone, everyone, children, adults. It doesn't matter what you do, but you can contribute to science in a very real way. Uh, and so, again, this is very exciting in the field of astronomy. I think astronomy uh, and space science are, are the, probably the most open um, when it comes to um, encouraging non-scientists to contribute to science. I agree. And with going back to what you were saying before about just even the Hubble images and seeing some of those and spreading it out, one of the most amazing sites that I love is the Astronomy Picture of the Day, which is apod, apod.nasa.gov. And I'm looking at the one on the date of this recording, which is October 25th, 2009. And regarding those Hubble images, it's one of the new Hubble images, and it's absolutely amazing. It's of a supernova, it's all these different colors. If you get to look at it, it's just stunning when you see it. And the weirdest part is, when you're looking at these things, you're looking, you're basically going into a time machine. Looking in a telescope or looking up at the sky is like going through a time machine. Because when you think about it, like the description underneath the picture of the Crab Nebula from Hubble... It says that it's the result of a supernova seen in 1054 A.D. And here we are thousands of years later, and now we're taking a look at this. And it's amazing to think just how far away this is and how long ago this actually happened. And here we are just looking into the past by looking up. And that nebula may actually be very different now. The the gas that you're looking at, all those colors, those different gases, they're always evolving and so, um, of course, a thousand years is just a blink of an eye um, when it comes to space and the distances and time and everything. But it's, it is, I, I agree with you, you're looking at a time machine. And some of what you're looking at right now, that what Hubble has just imaged, may not even exist anymore. It may, it may be very different looking now. And so we're seeing it as it was yesterday. Yeah, that's Which, the coolest part there. <laughs> I know, isn't that, it neat? <laughs> it just thrills saying, me. You're saying... Today's view of an object could be different in a day or a short time like that? Yes. Wow. 
the Eagle Nebula, which is very famous, uh, Hubble made the Eagle Nebula so famous. It's one of the most famous Hubble images. Um, those pillars that the image is so famous for, these wonderful p pillars, it's a cold, dark, very thick globules of gas and dust, and stars are being born within there. Well, what's really fascinating is the scientists believe that those pillars that we see right now probably do not exist. Uh, because um, there's so much happening within those pillars. You have in these huge stars that are being born, and they have burned away much of that gas and dust. That's what happens, that's what happens when stars are born within a nebula. Uh, they burn away the dust that surrounds them. And so, and, and so, of course, the nebula, they're burning the nebula itself away. And so they believe that these pillars, they may have even been some um, supernovae events uh, occur nearby to blow away much of those pillars. And so what we're looking at may not exist anymore. Tavi, can you uh, talk to the discovery of a couple hundred exoplanets that have just happened within the past week or so? Well, <laughs> the, the latest was... Um, uh, they had a, uh, what, three dozen, three dozen planets to put that number over 400. Hmm. Okay. The other, the other night we, uh, and what yeah. observatory is doing this accounting of exoplanets or is it a collaboration of several across the world? Oh yeah, it's a collaboration and there's, um, there, there's different methods by which these discoveries are made. I think probably the most common is, um, the transit method, um, I'm, Tracking I'm movement not, of objects, basically. No, no. What happens is you look at um, a star, a, mm -hmm. another sun, and spectrometry is what will tell you. You measure the light curves, and when the light changes, um, you, and you have to keep watching it and watch it because you, you're looking for a pattern, a rhythm. When an object, if our sun were seen from a great distance, even the smallest planets moving in front of the sun. Mm -hmm. The Earth, um, not the very smallest, um, but the Earth and bigger, because now we're discovering Earth-sized objects, uh, but the larger objects particularly. But still, compared to the sun, they're very small. When they move, when they transit in front of the sun, mm -hmm. they change the light output as seen okay. from a distance. And this is how many of the exoplanets are discovered, um, by measuring this light. So and, if if they know that you know, Exxon has, due to this uh, transit measurement of an exoplanet going across of its orbit, do we then somehow get access or do these observatories work with NASA to now focus Hubble onto this position to try to capture or photograph these planets? What will happen um, there? Well, it's still very, very difficult to actually photograph the planets themselves. I'm aware of only one uh, image of an exoplanet, and um, and the the and the image actually was it was not realized to well after the until well after the fact that they had indeed imaged the planet. Um, I believe it was Formohot, the star Formohot, mm -hmm. uh, that um, the planet there, one of one of the planets there, that they went back and looked at some images and realized that they had oh my God we've imaged an exoplanet because you're talking about very 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 great distances and so a planet naturally is going to be it's it's smaller than a speck of dust is you know looks to us 
But um, so I'm aware of only one that they've actually imaged the planet itself. I see. And um, but as our technology becomes greater, we will have greater capacity um, for more details like images and things like that. Um, you know, it just keeps getting better and better and better all the time. You know, now we're, we're able to, in some cases, uh, determine the, the gases that surround a planet. We can tell if it's a terrestrial planet or a gas planet. And the fact that we can even determine the sizes of these planets is absolutely amazing. I think one of the reasons that all of a sudden we're discovering lots of exoplanets, and it's because our technology has gotten better. And we didn't begin discovering exoplanets until the 1990s. So we're going to find out that there truly are, you know, just millions of planets out there. We think that these, oh, wow, we've just discovered another one, but there's still not very many. But it's not that there aren't very many. It's just that we don't have the capacity to discover them yet, to discover mm -hmm. all of them yet. We're, this is new, you know, and we're making great strides but uh, to date, most of the planets that we have found are super huge. They're super Jupiters. You know, they're just uh, tremendous-sized planets. And again, that goes back to it's not because there aren't many Earth-sized planets. It's because we just haven't had the capacity to discover them yet. Sure, the bigger so. ones are easier to find, I'm sure. Exactly. They are. <laughs> yes, absolutely. What about near-Earth objects? What about that asteroid that's out there being dislodged right now out of its orbit, hurtling towards us? <laughs> I mean, I that's know there's. there's I mean, there has been talk about is it even a waste of money to go back to the moon until we find a sure, safeguard way to protect our planet against a danger of a near Earth object striking the planet? Could be catastrophic. Well, yes, it could, and there's no doubt that we do need to pay more attention to us. Um, and that's not to say that there are not many people uh, around the world who don't understand that there, there are people, many people, who, um, who do understand the need to pay more attention, to, to put more focus on near-Earth objects. Yep, not not Rusty Schweikert from Apollo it, 9. He's one of the guys out there beating the drum on this one hard. That's and, right. I mean, it's an underfunded by NASA, by the government, whatever. It's just, you know, it's underfunded, and they don't have enough resources to catalog everything that's out there. Well, it's an out-of-sight, out-of-mind thing, in my opinion. Uh, we don't see it. When do, we don't care about tsunamis until we see a quarter million people die from mm -hmm. one. We don't care about earthquakes until we see tens of thousands of people die and then we begin to change our building codes and things like that and then we forget about them again um, and the same thing with hurricanes with Katrina not until they experience it do people begin to take things seriously and so with a near-earth object uh, the, when they hear numbers like a one in ten million chance of, of hitting us well those are just the ones we know about and um, and it's not a, a matter of whether or not something's going to hit us, it's a matter of when is it going to. And you know what else? Discovering them is not the only thing. What are we going to do when, they're, right. when we finally do discover that one is going to hit us? Right. Are there any contingency plans in place? Because I, I really, I mean, I'm, this is a serious question. Are there, we have evacuation plans and contingency plans in place 
for natural earth disasters. I would like to know what is the contingency plan for an incoming impactor? How do you do how do you tell two million people in a city that an asteroid's gonna hit that city uh, in three days? What do they do and where do they go? How do you deal with it? Do we have these plans in place? And I think that this is something that people should be demanding the answer to, personally. <laughs> All right, now I've got an interesting question about um, getting the word out as well, because all four of us are on Twitter, and there's a lot of things on Twitter that are kind of being used for astronomy, but is that helping at all, and is it a good idea? Like, at um, KS Astro on Twitter has all these different things, including hashtags such as uh, Moonwatch, uh, Meteor Watch, and Galilean Nights. And those are all star observing, and if you have pictures of it, you can put a hashtag on and everyone can converse about it. Do you think that helps? I do. And I think that's a very good question, Sawyer, because are we only, are we speaking to the choir? Are we, are, are we, and, and if we are, and if, you know, if we were, that's okay too, uh, you know, we have an international community, uh, and how much fun is that to find people who share your same interests? You know, uh, you know, in the past, you were forced to, whoever your neighbor was, that's who you had to share interest with, you know? And, and with, with uh, things like Twitter and the Internet, now you can find the people who share your interest. But um, I think that we are speaking beyond the choir. Um, you know, again... I get emails, and, and this is as a result of Twitter, I get emails and I get direct messages and, and so many just replies from people who never looked up before, and, uh, but they did as a result of what they're seeing on Twitter. Um, you know, and people who are out there now taking pictures, people who are trying to learn more, people who are tuning into NASA and trying to find out, uh, you know, just what is happening with our space program and learning about things that uh, they didn't realize. And when they begin to get that interest, um, that's another one for the team, so to speak. That's another taxpayer uh, who says, yes, this we do need to do this and I will support it. So, yes, I think it works. Mark, Gina, what do you guys think about that? Oh, I was just going to say, I have a lot of reciprocal space followers. You can follow me at Cleared the Tower. But I'm not so sure if my non-space tweet followers, um, they don't interact with me on Twitter about that. I think they just say, well, there she is again, spouting about space and just, you know, keep scrolling. So I don't, I don't know if what I personally say um, is potentially persuading any new space interest, but... Um, you know, I, I certainly try to breed the enthusiasm. Um, I, I, I've had my neighbors looking at Jupiter this, this summer. It's been fantastic. I'm looking at it right now through a pine tree branch. And, you know, certainly the moon. And I, I mean, I, I do try to breed that sort of sense of interest of it. But, um, you know, I, I've sort of just fallen into um, a community on Twitter where people do you know, already have an interest. So I don't know if there's something I could do in my tweets that may try to encourage, um, you know, more interest from non-space-minded people currently, but maybe something I can try to work towards. I just thought of an idea. Mm-hmm. You can bomb the moon. I could bomb the moon. <laughs> could try that. That, that I heard up NASA on... tried it, and it wasn't all that interesting. <laughs> I'd be yeah, willing to bet that you are reaching people that... I would guarantee you there are people who 
in their conversations will say, well, I saw today somebody talking about so-and-so. And I will guarantee you that they are um, sharing what they learned from you. They may not talk about it, and a lot of the reason that they may not interact is because uh, they might be they may feel like they don't know enough uh, that this is new stuff to them, but it's interesting, and so they do read it, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And so they they may just feel like they're not, you know. I, it goes back to all those years that I never looked through a pair of binoculars because I thought I wasn't qualified. I wouldn't know what I was looking at. And I think that a lot of people do that too. Uh, people who are not necessarily space enthusiasts, they just may not say anything just because they they feel like they don't know enough to, when in fact they do, you know. I think that's where with some of the uh, messages that you see on Twitter, uh, some of them are, are very valuable because they'll have a link. And the link may go to the astronomy.fm. And I've seen that through you, Tavi, that, uh, you know, there's things there. It's like, whoa, what's this? Let me look around. So you find websites that you've never heard of that you might never even stumble across in a, in a serious search because of how uh, difficult it is sometimes to find things. But, uh, you know, with the link in a tweet about about the, uh, you know, that conveys the, a little bit of the content that uh, opens people's eyes to where you don't feel like you have to jump in the deep end of the pool to start with. You can you can walk down the steps little by little and, and absorb it as you have time to. That's right. Um, I agree with that. I think the links are key. Um, pictures, sharing pictures. Um, I like to share. I'm not a very good astrophotographer. Uh, I only use a digital camera, and I'm not that good at it. My pictures are just so-so. But I always share them, and I share them with excitement and enthusiasm because, to me, the less great my pictures are, the more they will encourage people who never attempted to take pictures. Because when they look at a picture, um, they'll still they'll look at it and, and realize that you don't have to be great to be excited about, um, you know, anything really. But in this case, taking pictures of Jupiter or the moon or things like that, you know, and they'll even go outside and they'll go, well, gosh, it, it's really not that hard. Let me try it. Um, but I, so I think links, like you said, Mark, with the websites and things, I think it's important to share those. Um, and you don't even have to make a big deal when you share. You know, you can just say, hey, this is so cool. Look at this. You know, that kind of thing. Um, uh, and people will click them. They may not be responding and interacting. But again, I'd be willing to bet that they are clicking on them and, and that some of those people are going, oh, this is really neat. I like this. So. I've got a story to throw in. And it was when I first heard a little bit about astronomy that, that was outside of a observatory type environment. My wife used to work as a travel agent, and she came home and was talking about, oh, I'm I'm booking a trip for some uh, astronomy folks at the college, and they're going to go, you know, somewhere halfway around the world for for this. And then she would mention, oh, and I was talking to so and so, and they've even got a uh, a spot out in their yard where they can set up their telescope, and they'll have a a a star night where they'll have friends and and fans to where they'll look through through a amateur telescope at the stars. And I thought, what? Put something out in your backyard and have... And that was just a, a very <laughs> thing. But that was my first grasp that there's more to this than the professionals. Yes. And it, it didn't take me anywhere because at that time I didn't have the resources that we do today on the Internet to get more than just one little shot of, of, of something new. 
It's you just said something very important um, that there's you know that there's more to it than just what the professionals do. This is where and then and and this goes back to what Sawyer said at the beginning of the show that um, you know that you've talked often uh, of NASA's outreach, but little about the amateurs outreach or just astronomy outreach and I think that the amateurs outreach uh, is as important and possibly even more important than the professionals outreach because um, we relate to each other we're more comfortable with each other and when we see each other doing things of course we know we can do it then too um, and if we only hear from only the professionals, we want to hear from the professionals. If we didn't, uh, that would dampen our enthusiasm, I think. But um, if we heard only from the professionals, we would be detached from it. We would not see, uh, all, we would not feel ownership in all of this. Um, with the space programs, it's very important that we feel ownership uh, with the space programs because they, it is our space program. We uh, we own it. We pay for it, and um, so it's very important that we show that ownership uh, by getting involved. And one of the ways of getting involved is outreach um, with each other. You know, so tell us about um, this. Is kind of a, a, a side. Uh, you know, we've been talking about Twitter, but. I know that you've you've worked on other shows on astronomy. And what are some of the websites that um, that you've got personal experience with that you could tell people to to check out for for information? One of the first ones um, is Astronomy FM. Astronomy FM. I'm very very excited about this community. Astronomy FM has is a core group of people who have developed their own astronomy community. They have internet radio that you can listen to um, almost every night of the week. Uh, you can get the latest space science news. And they just have fun sh shows, informative shows, uh, Galileo Nights. Gosh, this has been a whirlwind, a marathon of astronomy this week. We had um, Galileo Nights, uh, and I did a show over there. I do a monthly show, Deep Sky Divas, for Astronomy FM. And it was just an informative show. We talked about uh, Galileo the Man and Galileo the Mission, the NASA mission. And the neat thing was, for all the people listening, we had a slideshow. Is um, it was fun? We learned something new. Uh, those of us who did it in, in putting the show together, and those of uh, the, the listeners, um, and that's now on SlideShare too, by the way. They have an APOD. Sawyer, you talked about one of your favorite websites was APOD, the Astronomy Picture of the Day. Well, Astronomy FM has taken APOD one step further, and they have a APOD, Amateur Astronomy Picture of the Day. We have seen a phenomenal response to this over there. Um, people from all over the world are submitting their astronomy images. They've uh, um, achieved them on the robotic observatories that I talked about. They've done it with their own equipment. They're taking them with just uh, point-and-shoot cameras. And it's had a fantastic response because, you know, again, we're getting people involved. We're reaching out and saying, um, hey, you know, look up at the sky. Look up. Typically, traditionally, to look at the deep sky, you looked through the eyepiece of a telescope. Well, now you can use the telescope to take images and you look at the images. And that's what um, a lot, you know, a lot of the science is done that way, in fact. 
It's not by looking through the eyepiece. It's through the images. And so Astronomy FM offers um, some free trial memberships and things like that to help people get started. So, so Tati, first and are foremost, you saying, are you saying that you can go to this website and watch through a telescope, through your computer screen, and then when you see an image or something that you like, you can click, take a picture through the website? Yeah, you can tell the right. You can do this on the website. You, what you do is um, they have a trial membership, and what it does is it connects you to, the, um, to a robotic observatory. And when you go there, you tell the telescope where you want it to point. Mm -hmm. And they do it. They have a really easy click and point, which is really nice to make it really easy for you. I want to take a picture of the ring nebula. And you tell a telescope, and the telescope in real time, at that time when you tell it to do it, it's halfway across the world doing what you tell it to do, and wow. it will slew uh, to the point in the sky that it needs, and it will image, and it takes, you know, you have to build the image, um, and then when it's done taking that image, it gives it to you, and there you have it, and you look at it. They have discovered hundreds, hundreds, in just the past two or three months, hundreds of uh, near-Earth objects uh, and asteroids with uh, these robotic telescopes. People like me and you, but they'll just take images of the sky and then start looking at them, and they'll discover asteroids that way. Okay. I'm going to check That's that incredible. out. That is incredible to think that a uh, little bit of uh, luck by the uh, observers that are trained to look at these things, that we can just stumble across it ourselves. Isn't it? Um, you know, a lot of comet discoveries are made with digital off-the-shelf cameras. People will go out there and they will set up and they'll make a pattern. They'll design a, you know, a survey of the sky and they will uh, set their camera to, um, they may use something like an astro track or they may use their telescope's mount to, to track and take images of the sky. And then they'll go back and look through these images and, um, and see comets in there. Um, and they'll know where they were taking the pictures, and, and then they'll do a search to see if there's any comets there, known comets, and they're discovering comets that way. Hmm. How about your show, Deep Sky Divas? I've, I caught part of that show one evening, and uh, and then you got busy with uh, relocating and moving and, and haven't heard a show since, although I think you just did one, right? We do the Deep Sky. The Deep Sky Divas started in 2006, and uh, it is a fun show. It is Marlene, Brian, and myself, two of us, and it's kind of the 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 morning um, the morning radio show that you listen to on the way to work, or the coffee talk show type of show. Just two ladies chatting uh, about astronomy, and uh, and it's really a lot of fun because we are both amateurs and. Um, uh, you know, we know some things, but there's a lot of things we don't know. Um, so kind of the audience, especially our longtime listeners, are learning with us. It's a lot of fun. That's once a month, and we do that at Astronomy FM. That is absolutely, sounds amazing. Is there anything else that you want to plug? The Astronomy Picture of the Day is also available as an iPhone app, and it's free to download. Yes, it is. So go ahead, and you can also... When you're searching or downloading this episode from iTunes, you can also check it out. And it is the Astronomy Picture of the Day app for the iPhone and iPod Touch. I have it myself, and it is great. Uh, anything else, Tabby? <laughs> you know, I, I hope that um, more people 
will have the the nerve to share what they do. Uh, you know, don't be don't be afraid to share what you do, no matter how mundane you may think it is. It is going to be exciting to someone else, and I think it's very, very important uh, that we continue to get the word out because, especially with light pollution, uh, you know, we we kind of a lot of people are not aware of of what's up there, the night sky. Um, and again, I think that a lot of interest in space science and space flight actually begins with um, looking up, with simply looking up. So, uh, you know, I, I always want to encourage people to encourage others to uh, to look up. All right. Well, that is great. So thank you very much again for joining us. Now, uh, before we go, just going to say a couple things here. Uh, first off is definitely that, again, as of what we said tonight, if you get the chance, just look up. You've, there's online observatories. You can use binoculars. You can use telescope. You can use your naked eye sometimes and just look up. And it's great to do, especially since 2009 is also the year of astronomy. But just because it's the International Year of Astronomy doesn't mean you can't do it any year from now. <laughs> Correct? That's right. And honestly, people on Twitter, if you post it, love to see pictures of the moon and such like that. It's, it's an amazing sight. And if you have any comments on what you think would be a great way of getting out information about how to get people interested in astronomy and things like that, what you can do is you can actually either send us an email or leave us a voicemail. We can either play it in the podcast or read it. Once again, that email address is spacetweeppodcast at gmail.com. That's S-P-A-C-E-T-W-E-E-P podcast at gmail.com or once again a new way you can do it is you can leave us a voicemail and that phone number is 646-402-5665 when it asks for an extension that is 06532 once again that's 646-402-5665 extension 06532 and you can leave us a voicemail which we can actually take and play in the podcast as well so, again, always you can do that, or you can contact any of us on Twitter, and we'll be happy to get back to you as well. So, if nobody else has anything to add, I will say thank you once again, everybody, tonight for being here. Gina, thank you for showing up. Sure thing, Sawyer. Mark, I'm glad that all of us are back as well, and it's great to hear you. A pleasure. I like, uh, like hearing what everyone has to say. I learn a lot. And Tavi, thank you so much for being a guest on our episode tonight. You had some amazing insight on astronomy, and it's really appreciated. Anytime you want to come back and you've got anything about astronomy, we'd be more than happy to have you. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Um, all of us are space tweeps. We all love the uh, Space Tweep Society, uh, so it's kind of fun to get together like this and talk. All right. Once again, also, thank you for continuing to download this podcast and make it an amazing success of what it is. It's become a lot larger, and we've gotten a lot more downloads than we ever could have expected. And we owe that all to you, our loyal listeners. I'm going to say thank you, and have a great rest of your week. And hopefully we'll be back again next Sunday to record. And next week, you'll be able to download us once again. Good night. Or good day, or good evening.